Open your Bibles, please, to Matthew's Gospel. We're going to look at chapter 16, beginning at verse 13. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 16, and beginning at verse 13. This morning we're going to be looking at the uniqueness of Jesus. I want you to keep that in your mind as we begin reading with verse 13. When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples saying, whom do men say that I the son of man am? And they said unto him, some say that you're John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he saith unto them, But whom say you that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Peter, for uh, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed this unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. Charles Jagger, an English sculptor, famous for his war statues, said that his one great desire in life was to create a statue of Jesus so lovely that men and women would be moved to repentance in its presence. He was never able to do so. For some 70 years now, I've been trying to present Jesus in all of the beauty and the winsomeness of his character. I've never been able to do so. But this morning I try again and again I will fail because he is the indescribable Christ, the altogether lovely one. How can any mortal man paint a picture or carve a statue that would give us the exact image and character of God himself. I do believe, however, that men and women will never be reborn or never led to live noble lives until they have seen Jesus in his splendor. Jesus is the central figure of the ages. He is a divider of time and of men. Wherever he went, he polarized people. They were forced to take sides. Whenever he preached, he created a riot of hate or a revival of hope. Jesus was revolutionary in his deity, in his deeds, and in his death. And he's still with us today. Emerson said the name of Jesus is not so much written as it is plowed into the history of the world. In the region of Caesarea Philippi, and not far from Mount Hermon, a Jesus and his disciples go there for a day of rest and teaching. And while they were there, Jesus said unto his disciples, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they responded by saying, Well, Some people say that you're John the Baptist. 
risen from the dead. Others say that you are Elijah, come back from heaven to earth. Others say that you are Jeremiah or one of the other great prophets. The name of Jesus then was on the lips of all the people. He was popular up until that time. Uh, this question that Jesus asked them, whom do men say that I am, is the public's opinion of who Jesus really was. But then Jesus asked them a second question. Uh, what is your personal opinion? I know what the public is saying about me, but what is your public opinion about me? Peter responded for all of them. I can almost see the flash in his eye as he said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And when he said that, he reached the high water mark of Christian affirmation. And then Jesus responded to him by saying, Now, Peter, you didn't come to that conclusion by reason. You came to it by revelation. You didn't logically think it up. God the Father revealed it to you. And thus God still today reveals his son to us. Who do you say that Jesus is? Can you say he's my savior? He's my Lord? He's my master? That's what he is. A Jesus then is the unique person, unparalleled, unrivaled, unique in every single way. And so for the next 27 and a half minutes, I'm going to be talking to you about the uniqueness of the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to give you three things that you might remember if you don't remember any of the rest of the sermon. He's unique in his person. He's unique in his power, and he's unique in his provision. The last one is the most important of the three. But now let's go back to the first one. Jesus is unique in his, in his person. Jesus is unique in substance. When I say person, that's what I'm talking about. He's unique in his substance. He possessed within himself full humanity and full deity at the same time. He was not God in man because all believers have God in them. He was not a man who became God. That's pagan mythology. He was God-man. He was the God-man, fully man, fully human, and fully God at the same time. The Bible teaches us that Jesus was human. Now, you may argue about him, but you cannot intelligently argue about his existence because both sacred and secular history verifies the fact that Jesus lived. He was born in the city of Bethlehem. He grew up in the city of Nazareth. He learned, he worked, he prayed, he bled and he died. That's a human being. Uh, that's what humanity is all about. Uh, others recognized him as being a man. When he preached his first sermon in his hometown of Nazareth, the people marveled. They were astonished at what he said. 
And they said this, Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary? Yes, he was human. They knew him as a human being. And then later in life, about three years later, when he made his first triumphal entry into the city of Jerusalem, the entire city was stirred. And the people said, Who is this? And the crowd responded, This is Jesus, the prophet of Nazareth. And then following his resurrection, the disciples began to declare in Acts chapter 2, Jesus was a man approved of God. Yes, Jesus was human. Now he was the world's greatest man. Well, the quality of his character and the extent of his influence has never been surpassed and never will be surpassed. Edesheim said about him, I say that if Jesus was not the Messiah, then there never will be a Messiah because the future world can never produce a figure superior to Jesus. He's the greatest man that ever lived, the holiest among the mighty and the mightiest among the holy. He lifted with his own pierced hands empires off of their hinges, and he turned the course of history into new channels. If you and I happened to be in a building and some great person walked in, maybe a president or a queen, some great person walked in, uh, we would stand to greet them. But if the Lord Jesus Christ walked into that same building, we would not stand to greet him, but we would fall on our knees and kiss the hem of his garment. That's the difference between a great person and a great man. Not only was he the world's greatest man, but he was also the world's greatest teacher. Now, our world has produced many great teachers, but none of them would ever equal and, of course, never surpass the Lord Jesus. Number one, he taught with authority. Jesus Christ talked with authority. The prophets of old spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. The scribes in the New Testament spoke as they were able to interpret the teaching of others. But Jesus, with imperial dignity, took his seat above the seat of Moses, and he spoke directly out of his heart. And sometime he said, Moses said unto you, but I say unto you. That's absolute authority. He had authority. Other teachers were doubtful about life beyond the grave. But Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. And he that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. His unique wisdom startled the world of his day. And he was abreast of time and eternity. And he's still with us today. Not only did he speak with authority, but he spoke also with power. Now, you and I may speak with some authority, but how much power is there behind what we say? Well, Jesus spoke with authority, and he spoke with power. And one day, Jesus was preaching in the courtyard of the temple in Jerusalem. 
the Pharisees, who had been trying their best to arrest him, sent the temple police and said to them, you arrest the man and bring him. Those temple police made their way to the place where Jesus was speaking. And they stood in the shadow for a little while. They listened and they turned around and walked back to the Pharisees. When they got back, the Pharisees said to them, where's the man? And the only thing they could say is no man ever spoke like this man. You may hear a great orator, but never will you hear a man speak like this man. Not only was he speaking with authority and with power, but he was also the world's greatest example. The greatest example that this world has ever seen. His example is unsurpassed in holiness, but you and I need more than an example. His teaching is the highest in the world, but you and I need more than teaching. We need a savior who can save us from our sins and make us fit for heaven. And that's what Jesus Christ did. Not only was Jesus human, but secondly, Jesus was divine. Now, I can't explain that, neither can you, uh, but Jesus was divine. I noticed, first of all, that he claimed divinity for himself. He called himself God. He said, I and my Father are one. We're one in essence. We're the same. He claimed to be down here on earth doing the Father's will. When he was 12 years old, Mary and Joseph took him to Jerusalem to observe the Passover. When the Passover was over, they started back home found out Jesus was not with them. They went back to the temple courtyard, found Jesus, and Mary said to him, why have you dealt with us in this manner? And he said to her, do you not know that I must be about my father's business? He knew why he came to this earth. He claimed, he claimed divinity for himself. Now, either Jesus Christ was a lunatic who thought he was God and was not, or else he was a liar that knew he was not God and yet said so, or else he's the Lord God of heaven, and I believe he's the Lord God of heaven, the Savior of mankind. I notice not only did he claim divinity for himself, but others claimed divinity for him. John the Baptist, for example, uh, seeing Jesus walk along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, said, Behold, look, the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. Uh, John the Apostle writing in his gospel in chapter 1 said, Behold, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The centurion in charge of crucifying him after seeing how he acted and the way he died said, Truly, this was the Son of God. And then Thomas, after his resurrection, fell at his feet and said, My Lord and my God. Others claimed it for him. He manifested within himself humanity, and he also manifested divinity. I want to show you how he mingled these two together. On one occasion, I see him mingling with the guest at a wedding feast in Cana. Uh, this showed his humanity. 
And then when the wine ran out, he filled the bottles with water and turned them into wine and thus manifested his glory and the divinity of what he was. He is the only person that I know of who can be hungry and yet take five loaves and two fishes and feed 5,000 people. When he approached the grave of Lazarus, his friend that had been dead for four days, the Bible said he wept. That shows his humanity. And then he brushed the tears away from his eyes and called a dead man to come to life, and that dead man came out of the grave alive, living. That's Jesus. That's the Lord Jesus Christ who was both human and divine. But another thing about him, he was untouched by sin. Now, none of us have been untouched by sin. Sin has touched all of us, but not Jesus. Jesus himself claimed to be sinless. He said, which one of you can convince me of sin? Not a person stepped forward. Nobody challenged him. For three years, his enemies had been watching his every step, listening to his every word. And they couldn't find anything and had to find false witnesses before they could put him to death. Jesus was the sinless one. Never has there been one in this way, in this manner. The centuries since his death have studied his life and they found no fault in him. Pilate, a Roman governor knew how to interrogate men and to get the truth out of them. And after he had examined Jesus carefully, he said, I find no fault in this man. Three times, three times he said, I find no fault. Herod, the king examined him and couldn't find any fault in him. You see, he was the sinless man. A Jesus lived in absolute victory from the day he breathed his first breath in Bethlehem's barn until he breathed the last. Absolute victory. He could have stepped straight from the Mount of Transfiguration into the presence of Almighty God. Nothing, nothing between him and his father. He was never out of step with the will of God. He fulfilled in his own person the perfect will of God. Plato, many centuries ago, said that he longed to see the moral law become a man. Well, had he lived when Jesus came, he would have seen the moral law become a man. The victory that he had in his own life has never been equal or ever will be. Well, that's Jesus in his uh, person. Now my time is running out. Let me talk quickly. The second thing I want you to notice is you, Jesus is unique in his power. I noticed that he was unique in his power over three things. First of all, the forces of nature. He was in power over the forces of nature. Look at him standing in the stern of a little storm-tossed ship on the Sea of Galilee. The disciples were frightened to death. The waves were leaping like mad dogs up around that little boat trying to pull it under. And they awoke Jesus and said to him, Master, don't you care that we're dying? And the Bible said he stood up 
And when he did, he rebuked the wind and the waves, and he said to them, hush, be quiet. And the Bible said the wind stopped blowing, and the waves lay placid at his feet. Now, I want to tell you something. When there's a storm on an ocean or a big lake, the waves may suddenly, uh, the, the wind may suddenly stop blowing, but the waves will still roll, but not here. The waves obeyed him because he had power over the forces of nature. Secondly, he had power over the foes of man. You and I have three basic enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil. We might put it in this manner. Our three enemies are demons, disease, and death. And in Mark's gospel, chapter 5, Mark lumps them all together, and he demonstrates the power of Jesus, first of all, over demons. He cast the demons out of a man, a wild man of Gadara. In the middle of that chapter, a woman that had been hemorrhaging for 12 years just touched the hem of his garment, and she was healed. In the last part of that chapter, we find him speaking to a dead girl, 12 years old, the daughter of Jairus, and she came back to life again. And so then disease and death trembled in his presence, and demons fell submissive to his fear and to his will. He also had power to forgive sin. That's the part that's really important. Power to forgive sin. Uh, one day in Capernaum, uh, he was teaching, and uh, four men brought a paralytic and let the man down right in front of Jesus. Now, they, came, they brought the man that Jesus might heal him. Uh, Jesus looked at him, and he said, Son, your sins are forgiven. They cried, Blasphemy! Who can forgive sin but God? Jesus said, Well, just to show you, that I do have power to forgive sin, I say to the paralytic, get up, roll up your bed, and go home. And he jumped to his feet and walked home. Jesus demonstrated his power to forgive sins. And you and I can have our sins forgiven today. Let's come to the last thing. Jesus is unique in his provision. I declare unto you that Jesus is the world's only Savior. And you respond, what qualifies him to be the world's only Savior? Well, there are three things. Number one, his substitutionary death on the cross of Calvary. Notice I said substitutionary. His death was vicarious. His death was not for himself. It was for you and me, the disciples, that he was delivered for our offenses. Socrates, talking to his pupil Plato, said to him, God must have a way to forgive sin, but I wonder how. Oh, if he could have gone to Calvary, he would have understood how God forgives sin. Jesus is uh, his substitutionary death. And then his death was not only vicarious, but it was also voluntary. He said, no man takes my life from me. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it up again. While Jesus was hanging on the cross, 
the religious leaders tried to discredit him. And they said to him, If you're the Son of God, why don't you save yourself and come down from that cross? You may have been able to perform some miracles up in Galilee. You may have stilled a storm on the lake. You may have healed a paralytic. But here in Jerusalem, in the center of religion, where's your power? Why don't you come down? Thank God he didn't come down. He didn't come here to come down from a cross. He came to submit himself to it. I declare unto you that nails did not hold him to that cross. A Roman soldier standing nearby did not hold him to that cross. It was the love of Almighty God. For God so loved every one of us in this building today that he stayed on the cross. Secondly, there was his sinless shed blood. Now notice I said sinless, and then I said shed. It was his sinless shed blood. You see, Jesus shed his blood that your blood and mine may be cleansed. Have you ever thought about it? Uh, why do you have blood streams? Uh, why is there blood running through our bodies from the top of our head to the tip of our toes? Uh, what is the purpose of blood anyway? I, now, I'm not a medical person, but I do understand that blood uh, sends oxygen uh, to parts of the body, and then blood strengthens us. But one of the main things that blood does is cleanse us. And it is my understanding that all of our vessels and veins have little germs in them that could kill us. But God in his wisdom and in his mercy placed three little germ killers in there, phagocytes, leukocytes, lymphocytes. And it's their job to search for, find those bacteria and kill them. That's what the blood of Jesus Christ does. It finds the bacteria of sin in our life and destroys it when we give ourselves to Jesus Christ. What qualifies him to be our Savior? His supernatural resurrection from the dead. Jesus is alive. We don't have a tomb to go to. We don't have a corpse that we can go and look at. We have an empty tomb. We don't even wear a crucifix with Jesus hanging on it. You may wear a cross, but not a crucifix. He's not dead. He is alive forevermore. Jesus is a fact of history. You cannot ignore him. You've got to do something with him. Uh, one day a skeptic walked into a cathedral where mass was being observed. And the choir was singing, Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. Tears came to his eyes. And he said, Oh God, what a dream, if only it were so. I declare unto you, it's so. The church says it's so. The Bible said it's so. Every believer said it's so. Jesus Christ forgives and cleanses us from all sin. Now then, you've listened, 
patiently and I thank you. But now you've got to do something with Jesus. If you haven't trusted him as your savior, you're going to have to either say to him, I don't want you, or I'll accept you. In just a minute, Kathy is going to come and she's going to lead us in a hymn of invitation. And I'm going to invite you to get up out of your seat and make your way down one of these aisles. And Randy will be here to meet you and to help you. And if you want to receive Christ as Savior, he or some of us will be glad to talk with you, show you how to become a child of God. If, on the other hand, you have grown cold in your heart and you need to renew their vows to Christ, you may want to come and let Randy or some of them pray with you or kneel here at the front and just talk to the Lord. Whatever it is, let Jesus meet it, will you? Kathy, will you come and lead us, please? Let Jesus meet the need that's in your life. Randy, if you will come, please. Let's stand together. Just as you are, will you come? Some decision you need to make, make it. Jesse, what a great reminder of the power of Christ. Now to him who is able to keep you from falling and present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy, to the only God our Savior be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now and forevermore.
more. Amen. God bless you today. Have a great day.